Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to our show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. As you know, I've been here for the last 22 years. I'm in my 32nd year of radio here in Kansas City, my 42nd year of work as a sports psychologist. And I've been very privileged throughout my career to know a lot of people on my journey as I've gotten to where I'm at right now. I've been the team psychologist with the Kansas City Royals a couple of times. I was the first sports psychologist at KU, worked with the Olympic team for eight years, um, Kansas City Comets back in the 80s. I've spent a lot of time talking to people about who they are, their journeys, how they've gotten where they're at. And throughout this my journey, I've met a lot of people on their journeys, some at the top, some at the bottom. And one of the individuals I've met is sitting across from me here in the studio. His name is Willie Mays Akins, and I got to know Willie, I guess, about probably about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I was a Royal Sports Psychologist. And Willie and I would sit in the, in the stands and talk. And if there's, if there's anybody I've ever met who's been at the top and been at the bottom, it's, it's this individual, and he's pulled himself back up. And I was so impressed with him. He's been on the show before, and I asked him to come on again. Because, you know, we talk about mental health on this show so much. We talk about how people overcome obstacles, people deal with failure. You know, my definition of winning is, did you go out and do the best you could that day? And losing is, did you quit and give up? Well, here in Kansas City, we know the story of Willie, Willie Mays Akins. The only player in the history of the World Series, and I believe that's still the case, to hit two home runs twice in two games in the World Series. Is that right, Willie? Still, still you. I was the first one. Somebody Has somebody done it since? Chase Upley for the, <laughs> the Philadelphia Phillies. Okay. Yeah. He well, tied all right. me. All right, he tied you. But he didn't beat you. No. He, all I was right. the first one. So, Willie was at the top. And then his story with drugs put him at the bottom in prison for years. But he's come out of it. And he's come out of it. He's written a book called Safe at Home. And I would encourage anybody who has a, a young athlete, male or female, for, forget that, just a young person, to get his book and read it. Because it, it talks about how he was at the bottom, how, how he was at the top, how he was at the bottom, and now he's back at the top again. Willie, thanks for coming in today. It's great to be here. I just want to mention also that the book has turned into a, a movie. Right. Uh, the movie came out last year, July 15th. Tell us and, about it. Well, the movie um, is post-prison. It's based upon everything that happened when I got out of prison. So if you want to know my life story before uh, I went to prison and what some in prison and some of the things that happened to me while I was a baseball player, you have to buy the book. And you can get the book at willieakins24.com, email akinswillie24 uh, at yahoo.com. But, um, you know, I, I've had some tremendous feedback from, from people watching the movie and, and everything. Uh, the movie, it was in um, a theater here in Kansas City uh, up up north, but mostly the movie is streaming online, Amazon uh, Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, Vudu, Apple TV, uh, Google Play. So it's out there. It's out there. And people should watch it. I I've seen I've seen excerpts from it. I think they should. You know, as a child, you had a, you had a problem talking, right? 
Exactly. I was okay. a stutterer. You were a stutterer. Yeah. All right. Now, back, how old are you now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm 68. I'm we're the old, same. Man. We are the same age, my okay. friend. We yeah. are the same age. Yeah. Okay, so when we grew up, because there were a couple of kids that stuttered in, in my grade school, people made fun of them all the time, right? They did me the same people way. People made fun of you. Exactly. Okay. They bullied me. So let's start with that. You got picked on as a kid, yet, yet you ended up Major League Baseball player, a star. So you went all the way up. How'd you overcome that? Because people would pick, people would make fun of you and pick on you. Today, when somebody has a stuttering problem, like the President of the United States has a stuttering problem, okay? There are still people that pick on people with that, but it's not looked on the same as it was when you grew up, was it? Exactly. Uh, and not only that, I had, a, I had a, a mental health problem in my household, and I didn't even know it as a kid. My stepfather was a, an alcoholic. He would work five days a week, and on Friday, I used to go with my mom and meet him on his job and get the check and go to the, the grocery store, and he would go straight to the, the bootlegger's house, and he would stay drunk. Is this in South Carolina? South Carolina, and he would stay drunk the, the whole weekend. I saw the devastating effects of, of alcohol when I was a kid, but eventually I followed in the footsteps of my, my stepfather. And this speech impediment, it stayed with me. From being a kid, uh, going to college, even after I, I became a, a professional uh, athlete, I stuttered. And, you know, there were times I did well on the baseball field, and afterwards, TV stations and radios, they wanted to talk to me. And I always had a fear that I couldn't talk. And during those 14 years while I was incarcerated, incarcerated something happened to my stutter. I'm not the best of speakers now, but, you know, I'm able to, to get my story across. And those 14 years, you know, I, while I was incarcerated, I used to get up in, in chapel or church and share my testimony. And after I got out of prison, I got in contact with my old friend, George Brett. He asked me to go over to his uh, his son or high school and speak to the kids about drugs and alcohol. Jackson? Uh, yeah. This is the first time I spoke. After being in prison for 14 years in front of a crowd. Were you scared to death? Absolutely, I was. And I, I had no idea if I could do it or not. And I stood there and talked for 45 minutes. And after I finished, George came up to me and he said, Mick, he didn't say I did a good job. He said, Mick, that's my nickname. He said, Mick, you talked for 45 minutes and you didn't even stutter. So this is the first thing that George Brenton noticed about me, that I had lost my stutter. What happened? Why do you think that happened? Uh, personally, I, I believe that that God, he, he took it away from me. You know, God knew that I was going to praise his holy name. I was going to be a person that, if you go back to the Bible, when uh, the the people, uh, God's people was in uh, Egypt, and he asked Moses to go and rescue his people. And that was the first thing Moses said. Moses said, I can't talk. I have a speech or an impediment. And I believe the same thing that happened to Moses, it happened to me. That God, he took that speech impediment away from me to allow me to, to get up, share my testimony, to help as many people that I can about some of the stuff that happened in my life that's still going on in the world today. When I was in Sunday school, we used to... One of my uh, religious school teachers said Moses was the man. Maybe that was why. <laughs> he always used to say that. Yeah. You know, 
you have you have been through so many different things in your life yet here we are sitting here today you've got your life together you've got three three daughters raising them you're working for the royals again helping them out and we're sitting across from each other talking about this how did you get how did you get back to this situation where you overcame all this stuff i mean you're in prison for all these years yeah you you were you know talked about everywhere for the drugs and everything you were doing and yet you've overcome that and you're sitting here talking about this why why willie why do you think that happened well i believe the reason that i'm still here is because you know the bible says that we go through trials and, and tribulations in our lives in order to grow and stuff like that so I believe that God allows stuff to happen in our lives to to wake us up. And receiving the sentence of 20 years and 8 months for me was was a wake-up call. I didn't realize this at first. After being incarcerated for two years, I rededicated my life to Christ. And I didn't do it because I was ready to change my life. I did it trying to trick God to help me get my sentence reduced so I could get out of prison and go back to using drugs again. And your sentence was reduced. Eventually it was. After being in, incarcerated for uh, for 12 years, I got my sentence reduced by four years. And that brought me back to the the 12 years beforehand when I rededicated my life to Christ. The Bible says that when we walk in the ways of the Lord, that God will bless our lives. But uh, all of this started because I was taken out of that situation in 1993 in my home in Kansas City, Missouri. I had been sitting in my house for three years smoking cocaine. And absolutely, this is all I did. I smoked cocaine and I chased the females. And we all know the ends are always the same, Andy, that you either go to jail. Most people won't check inside of a rehabilitation center or you end up dead. So for me, it was going to jail. God, I I believe that God. You didn't end up in in the rehab center. You ended up in jail. I ended up in jail. But because I was in jail. For that period of time, I was able to take rehabilitation or programs while I was in prison. And I took a, a couple of them, and each one was like 15 months at a time. So I had like three years of rehabilitation programs, and I truly believe, you know, those programs were based upon the, the 12-step uh, programs of, of AA. AA and NA. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to, you know, do inventories of my life. <laughs> I finally accepted responsibility. Let me let me inter- interrupt here for a second. What caused you to finally realize that? What to take responsibility and realize you were screwing up? What was it? What was it internally, psychologically, emotionally that allowed you to do that? Well, you know, I, I think I've always been a, a rational thinker, but when you're under the influence of drugs, it causes a, a mental health uh, issue. The drugs, they uh, alters your mind. They, they give you a bad attitude. And you do things that are irrational. So once I became clean and sober, I started to think rational again. And once I took those programs, it allowed me to look at some of the decisions that I had made in my life. And when I went to prison, my little girls were like five and six. And I didn't have no relationship with my little girls at all. So I was able to get my priorities in order by going back and doing inventories on my life. And after I accepted responsibility for what I had done, but then I I stopped blaming the undercover officer for me being in prison. The one that set you up. Exactly. The lady that set you up. Exactly. Right. The setup was a setup to save my life. 
this didn't, didn't happen all of a sudden. It took me years to realize. In this. the end, in the end, it saved your life. Exactly. In the end, because you stopped using you you when you're in jail, you can't. Well, unless it gets brought in, you can't use. Well, I, I had the opportunity to, to use drugs while I was incarcerated. I had people that uh, that offered cocaine right. and heroin and stuff to me while I was incarcerated, but I didn't use because. I want to straighten my life out. And see, see, right there, Willie. That's that's you know. Since I've gotten to know you a few years, several years ago, it's been about what twelve, thirteen years ago. I met you yeah. sitting in the sitting in the stands one day at, at the stadium, and you, you knew who I was. You introduced yourself to me. We started talking. You've you've overcome. You you faced. I guess we could say you faced the devil and you overcame it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and here's the deal. I I think when when we look at life, you know, I, I talk on this show about so many different topics about the mind. I I, I work with athletes. I'm in my 42nd year doing this. I've worked with athletes at all levels. Everybody comes from a different place. We all come from the same place, from the mother's womb, and then we all turn into who we turn into. But along this journey, some people fall down. Some people get up some people never fall down and, and, and continue to stand up some people fall down and can't get up everybody's different you hit hit the pinnacle with the royals in 1990 in the world series against philadelphia i, rem- I remember i was at 1980 i was in graduate school and i i got in big trouble i'll just let you know i got in big trouble in my uh, gra- grad school because i had my transistor radio and i brought it to class when there were games going on, because I couldn't, I was not allowed to not be in class. So I listened to the games, and there was one game where you hit a home run, and I—I've re- never told you this before. And the the earpiece popped out of my head, and I jumped up and yelled. And the teacher said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, Mays Aiken just hit a home run. That's more important than this class right now." <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, and, and and there were about eight people in the class. They're all laughing at me because they, they knew I was a big can. I'm in San Diego. I'm a big Royals fan. And I drove up to Anaheim and watched the games all the time from San Diego. But you were at the top. You were at the top, and then you fell to the bottom. Now, here you are, maybe more uh, higher up than you were then, right? Yeah, and I say it because back then when I was at the top, I was at the top as a baseball player. And I was a celebrity somewhat. Not somewhat, sir. You were a celebrity yeah, yeah. here in this city. You know, we're we're in the World Series for the for the first time, and after failing several times in the playoffs, get to the World Series. This city was going crazy, right? Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't go out anywhere without anybody wanting to touch you, grab you, get your autograph, right? Everybody wanted a piece of you, absolutely. And that's part of the problem. You got into the drugs was the the availability of everybody to be around you, right? And you met all kinds of people. And it was among my peers, my my teammates, you know. As it was well known. Yes. Exactly, guys that I was were, I were playing with. But back then, you know, it was all about me. It was all about me helping my team as a baseball player, but off the field or whatever, it, it was all about me. And now it's not all about me. It's about my family. I have a 12-year-old daughter. Uh, I have a wife that had a stroke. After, You've been taking uh, care of her a month after she uh, had the baby. So for twelve years now, she's been handicapped, and God has allowed me, me to have the chance to go around and share my testimony about some of the things that happened. Not only with the Kansas City Royal baseball players as a mentor, but 
with the the mental health community, I've spoken at our events that they've had. I, I've had a chance. Now it's about trying to help other people with some of the things that they're going going along with. And that's one of the things I admire about you, which we're going to talk about. We'll go to our, our commercial break here and come back. If you'd like to join us, I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I have a wonderful guest in the studio today, Willie Mays Akins. You know who he is. One of the greatest heroes of the Royals who, through his drug use, hit the bottom. And then, through his spirituality and reality of dealing with life, has come to the top again. If you'd like to join us, our number is 913-3810-810. Give us a call and let's talk. We're on Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour on our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. I'm here every Sunday morning talking about the mental side of sports, and frequently I get guests in here, and today I'm privileged to have, I would say a young man, but we're the same age. Yeah. But he's still a young man. Willie Mays Akins, you know who he is, one of the greatest Royals ever to play, put on that uniform. But a man who also, because of his use with drugs, fell to the bottom of the pit, but has pulled himself back up. And I've had Willie on before. I thought it'd be great to have him on now again. Talk about his book, Safe at Home, which you can get anywhere. And there's a movie out about his story, which I would encourage anybody to read. I want to talk about mental health, Willie. You know... Uh, I've been doing this for 42 years. I've worked with athletes at all levels, as I still am. Professional athletes, college, Olympians, youth sports. I talk, give talks all the time to organizations and teams, as, as do you, um, about the importance of mental health now. You know, I've talked about mental health on this show forever. And for the longest time, people are like, what are you wasting your time on that? I don't need to listen to that stuff. That's a bunch of BS. I don't need to listen to mental health stuff. Well, the last few years we've seen, really starting with Kevin Love when he was with the the Cavaliers, having an anxiety attack in a game with not knowing what it was, and then becoming a spokesman as with the Miami Heat. You've had Simone Biles. You've had Naomi Osaka. You've had all kinds of athletes come out and talk about their mental health struggles. Tiger Woods just withdrew from the Masters today. He's dealing with physical stuff, but psychological stuff as well because of the stuff that he's done with his behavior. How important is... Mental health. We can talk about the mental side of sports, but then deeper, how important is mental health for anybody? For Let's start with that because you're a human being. Yeah. You had to deal with all types of stuff. How important is it, is it? I think it's very important. I mean, you can just look at the situations with the, the mass shootings that we are having in the United States today. I mean, somebody will wake up in the morning time and plan their day around going inside of a place and killing people. That right there by itself shows you that it is something going on with that person. You know, I look back on my my baseball career, and we was talking earlier about if a person like yourself had been working for the Kansas City Royals, when myself and some of my teammates were using drugs and going through what we were going through, well, then maybe that person like yourself could have seen us. We'd have had somebody to talk to and that could have made one of the, the biggest differences in my life and, and some of my, my teammate life. I mean, it could have, have avoided, made me avoid the crisis that I went through with the Kansas City Royals. I mean, here I am using drugs the day before a baseball game. I come to the ballpark. I'm not in the, the lineup playing against a certain left-handed pitcher. Dick Hauser has made the decision that another player is in a, a better position to do better than me. 
But instead of me respecting what Dick Hauser did, making that decision and not playing me that day, I got upset about it. I got uh, pissed off about it. I wouldn't even go out and take an interview or take uh, a batting practice. And this is one thing that, that hurt my, my baseball career. So, excuse me, inter- interrupt you here. So you didn't go out and take infield or BP. So what's the so what's the message then? Dick Hauser is getting from you about yourself. Uh, that something is going on in my life, and that if somebody like yourself would have have been around, you could have pulled me to the side and said, "Look, look, Willie, what you're doing is not right. You need to always have respect for your your manager." What's going on in your life? And, and, and you need to go talk with him. Exactly. Yeah, and that was one of the things when I worked with, with the Royals, especially with John Wathen in 1990 and then Trey Hillman, they were totally open to having me encourage guys to come talk to them. They wanted guys to come talk to me. Exactly. And they would ask guys to come talk to me. Some guys, most most did. I will say this because after, after, because I was there for a while, people got comfortable with me being there because I was just part of the team. They didn't see me as just some shrink. I got those jokes from some people but yeah the the comfort level was there but i i i can't i can't say because of confidentiality i i numerous guys to go talk I've, every, every team i've ever been with that issue comes up and and at, if you're a professional athlete you've got an ego yeah you've got a big ego because you're you're at the top you're at the pinnacle and if you think your manager or your coach is dissing you you get ticked off. So then you don't want to talk to him. But the most important thing is to go talk to him, right? Absolutely. Because, and, go ahead. And I think that's one of the things I want to commend Mr. Sherman, the owner of the Kansas City Royals, and J.J. Piccoli about right now because they just added a, a, a young lady. Her name is Melissa. She's going to be uh, in the dugout with the baseball players Every single day, she's going to travel with the team. I think this is a, a tremendous plus for these uh, young players with the Kansas City Royals. And most of these players are young, only have a, a year or two in the, the major leagues. And as a baseball player playing 162 uh, baseball games, you go through head games. You're on a roller coaster. Absolutely. You struggle. And when you are struggling and don't know what's going on, you need to have somebody there that you can talk to. And that was the role that I had when I was there. It's the role I have with with other teams that I've been with because you need to have accessibility to talk. People think you know. Here's here's the thing, Willie. People look at athletes as as different. You know, professional athletes and, and today even college athletes they're different. Okay, physically, let's face it. Physically, you've got talent that's different than than most people. Absolutely. When you're playing, but psychologically, you're not any different than anybody else. You've got the same issues, and I mean, psychologically, maybe from a confidence level, you're you're different because you've been able to overcome stuff. But but at the same time, you're still a human being. You've got you've got issues you got to deal with. The only thing that's different is ball players that make a whole lot of money, and they go through a status as people look up to them. That's what's different. But all uh, we still have to make choices, and we make bad choices in our lives. And whenever you make a bad choice, there are consequences behind those choices. But and the problem the problem is if you're a professional athlete, you can get away with a lot of that stuff for a while because you're a professional athlete, because people will sort of let it go under the rug. Is that right? That's one thing that that that, that happened to me. Even when I caught that or sentence of 20 years and eight months, I always felt like I was going to get out of there. 
because as a major league baseball player, I used to get stopped here in Kansas City for speeding, and uh, police officers would recognize who I who I was, and he would just say, "Willie, slow it down." And did they ask for your autograph too? Sometimes they did, <laughs> but they would just let they would just let you go. Let me go, and that's see consequences, and and that that's the whole thing when you screw up. When you get to this level, you get away with it sometimes. You got away with it a lot, which is what led to you having the problem with the drugs, in part, I think. But fortunately for you, fortunately for you, you were able to come out of it and, and wake up. And you know your 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 religious beliefs ha- have helped you immensely. Um, but but your your ability to look at yourself in the mirror, because I'm guessing when you were doing drugs. When you looked in the mirror, you didn't see who was there. Now you look in the mirror, you know who's there. Would that be would that be correct? Yeah, and, and that's one of the one of the reasons why I was able to make a change in my life when I was incarcerated. Hell, I woke up every day for fourteen years looking at me in the, in the mirror. I didn't have anybody else to 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 look at. And you have to understand, I went through I, I went through hell after I I, I left uh, at Kansas City and went to the Blue Jays. I became a part time player. I was a, a DH then, and then I, I got released, and then I went to the, the mile leagues, and then I got blackballed from playing baseball here in the United States. And it was because of, of the choices that I made and the bad attitude that I had with Dick Hauser, the manager, and stuff like that. But I ended up going to Mexico. Right. You know, I owned a batting average record down there, 454. You were down there how long? For five years. And after my first year, when I hit 454, with 46 home runs and drove in 154 runs, a team from Japan sent a representative to Mexico, and this team offered me three hundred thousand dollars. My which, Latin, which back then would be today would be like fifty million probably. Well, listen to this: my 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 highest contract in the major leagues with the Blue Jays was six hundred thousand dollars. I went to Mexico. I'm making four grand a month. Now a team over in Japan offered me three hundred grand. I was thrilled to death. When it came time for me to get a working visa to play in Japan, they wouldn't let you get it. I couldn't get one right. because I had that misdemeanor conviction that I got as a player for the Kansas City Royals, which devastated me. It absolutely devastated me. So eventually, I made a choice to start back drinking alcohol. I had been cleaning sober since 1983. This is 1987 now. I had been cleaning sober, so I made a choice to start back drinking alcohol, and that alcohol led me back to my drug drug of choice. Which was cocaine. cocaine. So, so for the next four years in Mexico, that's what I did. I played baseball, I smoked dope, and I chased the females. I mean, and then all of a sudden, I, I retired and became a recluse in my home here in Kansas City. So why'd you retire? Uh, I had an incident that happened at my house in Kansas City with a female who was living with me, and she ended up calling the cops on me, and they ended up arresting me. And the judge, he put me on probation for a year. So when it came time for me to go back to Mexico to play baseball, I had to get permission from the judge to leave the country because I was on probation. And the judge said that I couldn't leave the country. He wouldn't give me permission. And at the time, I was smoking dope every day, so I didn't really care to to go back to Mexico anyway. I would, would rather stay here in Kansas City and smoke dope and chase females. But when the judge said I couldn't go, it gave me more of a reason to just say, 
But screw it. I don't want to go back to Mexico and play a baseball anyway. So that was the reason why I didn't go back and play. Then for the next three years or whatever, that's what I did. I smoked cocaine here in Kansas City. I chased females. And then eventually, after a period of time, that's when I caught that big case that sent me to prison for 20 years and eight months. You know, I, I, li- I listen to what you're saying, and, and it, it blows me away how strong you are psychologically. Because starting with the stuttering as, as a child and then reaching the pinnacle as a baseball player, then falling to the bottom as far as you could go, with the exception of killing yourself, yet I'm sure there are times you probably felt like it, yet you, you, you came out of that. And you've come back and now you're helping, you know, you're, you're in the Royals organization, you know, available to talk to, to players and deal with things. You speak, you know, you, you told me you just gave a speech down in Wichita. You, you've, I'd encourage anybody to hire you to talk because your, your message, I'm not saying that to be nice. I'm, I, I can be nice. No, but your message, people need to hear what you've done, how you've come back. And that's, you know, the, the reason I do this show is is to get people to to think about how important the stuff up above your your neck is your head what's going on up there I mean last week we did a show um, and and I talked about well sportsmanship and my producer Kyle remembers that he got a caller said this is a dumb topic stupid topic why is he talking about this because sportsmanship's important okay. And the guy wouldn't come on. If he wanted to come on and talk to me, I would have been glad to have talked to him and explained why, but he didn't want to come on the air. So it's fine for him to come and criticize it, but not talk about it. As, as a professional athlete, you have to deal with both ends of it, the the praise and then the criticism. When you strike out with the bases loaded at the end of the game and you lose, you, you, you've got to deal with that yourself, but then you've got to deal with how people deal with you. You know, I, I worked with Tom Flash Gordon for 20 years. I love that man. He, he and I are as close as could be. We started working in, in 1990, stayed together. He's been on the show several times talking about it. I've worked with both his sons. Okay. And, and Tom had 54 saves in a row, major league record till it got broken by Eric Gagne, who was on steroids. So I don't count him in my, my yeah. opinion. Okay. Okay. But, but Thomas took responsibility for who he was. He's, he's always done that with his life. And, you know, we've talked so much about the pressures and the demands that are placed on, on somebody in that role. I work with a lot of professional athletes right now, several Chiefs players, soccer players, dealing with the pressures, the expectations. Everybody, when you, when you screw up, everybody sees it, right, Willie? Absolutely. Everybody sees it. And how does that make you feel then when people start getting on you for screwing up? You know, my first year in Kansas City, when I got traded here, 1979, my first year was 1980. I had just come off of knee surgery. And I was only about 80 85%. And for the first uh, three months of the baseball season, I struggled here in Kansas City. I used to hate to come to the ballpark because the fans, they booed me. They booed me every single day. And, you know, I, Jim Fry, he was the manager. And Jim Fry, he stuck with me. In the second half of the baseball season, I was able to come back. I hit 20 home runs. I drove in 98 runs. And that year, the Kansas City Royals went to the, the World Series. But from being a baseball player and from, from doing well as a, a minor leaguer, 
I never forgot what Willie Aikens was capable of doing. And that's what some of these players, they have to remember that. They, they, you're going to go through, through uh, struggles, especially as a hitter. Major League Baseball player, hitter is going to struggle. But I was able to come back because of the competitive attitude that I had in, inside of me. Where did that come from? Because, excuse me, because that is also what got you through the hell you went through in prison, right? Where did that come from? I think it, it came from uh, uh, from growing up in, in South Carolina as, uh, as a kid there in South Carolina, being in, in poverty, growing up in a shack, and having sports as uh, as something to do. Because really, there wasn't anything to do in South Carolina. I, I couldn't talk. I was a stutterer, but I played sports. And from playing sports, it gave me that competitive uh, attitude. And that was one of the reasons I was able to go to college. I mean, my family couldn't uh, afford to pay for my college, but I ended up getting a scholarship to go to to college. And I always like to say that because I had that competitive attitude from being a professional baseball player or just playing sports in general was one of the, the things that helped me out when I received that sentence in, of 20 years and eight months and I went to prison because that competitive attitude inside of me allowed me to never give up and have hope. One of my favorite phrases is, you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. And a stronger mind to me isn't about just competitiveness, but it's about confidence and about the confidence to believe that you're capable to overcome things. If you play sports, you're going to fail. I don't care how good you are, how great you are, you're going to fail. You know, I, I get all these young people come in my office and they say, I'm trying to be perfect. So, Willie, I ask him, well, who's perfect? And then there's like this silence and they're sort of like, oh, nobody. Or they'll say God, but right. I'm like, okay, but what human being do you know is perfect? Well, nobody. Then why are you trying to be something you can't be? And I think it's looking in the mirror. You've looked in the mirror. You've looked deeply in the mirror. You got into the mirror. Yeah. That's why you're sitting here with me. Right. So what would you say? Let, let, let's talk about the importance of, of mental health here as we wrap things up today. Why is understanding yourself psychologically, emotionally, spiritually so important to help you get through things, not just when you're doing well to handle that, but when you're not? It's important because uh, your brain or your head is the thing that allows you to make choices. We all are going to make bad choices in our lives. But when we get into the pattern of making bad choices like I did, well, then I think you need somebody in your life that is able to to help you see that kind of stuff. Because my situation, you know, you know it was like, well, I can do whatever I want to do and nothing bad is going to happen to me. And if you're not right mentally, but then you're going to con- con- continue to screw up and stuff like that. So mental health guides, guides us each and every single day. And making rational choices in this world is one of the most important things that we can do as a human being. When you are uh, out of y- your comfort zone and you start to make bad choices, well, then that's going to make the, the end result for you. Let me ask you three definitions. What's, we'll start with winning. What, what's, what's your definition of winning? Uh, it depends on what you're doing, I think. But for me, as a ball player, it was winning at baseball games. 
now for me, it's getting up uh, in the morning time, saying my prayers and thanking God for allowing me to to live another day. I'm 68 years old. So each and every day in my life today is a, is a blessing for me. And you're looking good, too. You almost look as well, good as me, too. But I've got more hair than you do, so there you go. But I appreciate it. <laughs> and, you know, God has given me uh, another chance to be a dad. You know, he gave me two, and the first two I screwed up. Now I have a, a 12-year-old daughter. So winning for me is waking up in the morning time and being able to uh, wake my daughter up to take her to school. And allow her to enjoy this life right now that she has. Winning for me right now is being a, a, a husband to my wife. Winning for me right now is um, being able to go to the, the ballpark and help some of these young baseball players get to the place I got in, in my life of becoming a, a major league a baseball player. I don't know if anybody can say any better than that. Now let me ask. <laughs> let me ask you what lo- what does losing mean? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, losing for me was wake up one day and decide to take a, another drink, and knowing that that drinking is going to lead me back to my drug of choice, and having my legacy legacy in this world to go back to um, when I was screwing up. And all of a sudden, you know, something, something bad happened to me while I made that choice. And people wouldn't remember me mostly as a baseball player then. I have a chance right now to be remembered as a pretty good baseball player and as a person that, uh, you know, was able to turn my life around. But as a better person. I want to thank you for having me on the show again because it, it gives me a chance to uh, – Say, talk about my situation and show people that how good God is. That if we just allow the Spirit inside of us to help us make good decisions in this world, that you can have a, a pretty good life. I think I'm a, a, a perfect example of that. Last definition, when, and, and you're welcome. Thank you, thank you for being with me today. Yeah. Um, I love having you on here. The last one, self confidence. What's your definition of that? You got about a minute, minute left. Yeah, to get yeah, in. yeah. Self, self comfort, I believe, is just waking up each day and be, believing that that God is the head of your life, and that the Holy Spirit that's in, inside of us is going to guide us. And you know, I, I didn't have this before in my life, like I have now. But I have the confidence that I can be the best, best dad that I can be for my twelve-year-old daughter. Uh, I've been able to rebuild the relationship with my two uh, older daughters. Oldest daughters. Uh, I just believe that God is good, and and that as long as I keep the faith, well, I'm going to be able to make it in this world. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As you know, I'm here every Sunday morning from seven to eight. I try to bring up topics uh, that I think are of interest to everybody, and I like to interview guests and. Uh, if you've if you've listened to this interview today, you know how much I respect the, the individual sitting across the, the table from me, Willie Mays Akins, because of of what he forget forget what he did as a baseball player. It's because what he's done as a person and how he's overcome the issues and problems he's had. His book is called Safe at Home. You can get it anywhere. The movie is called what, Willie? Um, the Royal. The Royal. Yeah. There you go. So check it out. It's all over the place. I want to encourage you to get this book and read it. And 
this show is, you know, our shows are podcasted on my website, winnersunlimited.com. They're podcasted across the board on, on all the podcast sites. I really want you to encourage people to listen to this show today because Willie's message is, is, is so important. My friend, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Doc. You know, you can reach me at my office, 816-561-5556. My website is winnersunlimited.com. My office number is 816-561-5556. My email is drj at winnersunlimited.com. Have a great week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next Sunday here on the Leader in Sports, Sports Radio 810 WHB.